Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 84, we discuss TNT announced two more analysts for their Champions League coverage. Serie A finally finds a home in the US. We discuss what's going on at BN Sports. Plus, we have a featured interview with uh, NBC's executive producer who gives us insight into what, it, uh, what, what we can look forward to in this uh, Premier League weekend on location. And we have a bunch of letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, um, we, w- we won't jump into the news sec- section right here, but... Uh, Lots of anxiety building up over the summer in regards to where Serie A was going to go in terms of the rights. Uh, we kept uh, listeners uh, updated on, on kind of uh, the latest developments and the negotiations and the back and forth. So um, I ended up going to ESPN Plus. I mean, w- what does this uh, mean, mean to you? Well, first off, there was a lot of excitement on Tuesday when it was announced because uh, I, I think there was anxiety that had built up over the summer that maybe the Serie A season would have started without having a, a partner in the United States, a media partner, which um, I think always was highly unlikely, but it did get played out uh, longer maybe than, than it should have. Um, and then the second point is, I think there's just a lot of excitement that this is on the ESPN networks that you're going to have um, another European football league on one of the uh, more accessible channels uh, in, in the United States. So uh, you can add Serie A to the list of, of the Premier League, Bundesliga, and uh, the Champions League uh, in, in that regard. And uh, I think there's a, uh, res- re- a resignation from a lot of people who had opted to try and avoid signing up for ESPN+. Plus now that they're going to, going to have to among soccer fans. So uh, got a lot of that on Tuesday afternoon also. Is, uh, I guess now we have to pay the four ninety nine dollars a month. And I would say, hey, from my perspective, it's not a bad deal. You get MLS, you get USL, you get the championship, you get ESPN FC every night. Uh, you're going to get more college soccer if you're interested in that. Um, and now you've got 400-plus Serie games on the platform. Uh, so it's um, it also tells us a little bit about Disney's strategy Chris, with their OTT product, which is to um, not only get as many rights as possible to as many leagues, but to make sure they have exclusive digital rights. So what's ended up happening is that 
MLS Live as a platform has been dumped onto ESPN Plus. USL has uh, foregone all its other relationships, YouTube, whatever else, uh, individual club relationships, to put all of their matches on ESPN Plus. So that's that's a 33-team league. That's you know, 16 matches a week at a minimum. Uh, now Serie A is going to have 400-plus games a season on ESPN Plus. That's everything wholesale being moved to ESPN Plus. So it's not just um, – acquiring the rights to properties chris it's also getting the properties wholesale you know getting everything yeah it's a, it's a, it's not perfect though kartik because like like for the for example um we may as well talk about this now rather than talking about in the new segment it's what people want to talk about <laughs> yeah about, so well. yeah we've been talking about this for weeks and we finally got the news but it, it's not perfect because the the games that will be on espn or espn2 kind of a, a game of the week each week are not going to be on espn plus so if you're a cord cutter and you want to get all of the Serie A uh, yeah. coverage, you have to have ESPN or ESPN2, either through your cable sub- subscriber or satellite or streaming provider. So, so I mean, it's one game a week. You know it's going to be one of the most high-profile games that everyone's going to watch. So it still attaches you to, to that cable monster, so to speak, with, with ESPN. Um, the other thing is too is is it, the interesting thing for me is that you look at uh, BN Sports's uh, TV ratings for Serie A games, and most of the games were in the tens of thousands, like ten thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, and if you base it on that alone, you'd say there's there's very little interest in Serie A. And actually, that was a topic that we had discussed in the past before about perhaps a topic for a future show is whether Serie A. As you mean, has uh, gone down in everyone's estimation in terms of a league based on the TV ratings, but but based on the the level of uh, not not just the anxiety, but the level of request and feedback and people just just going crazy over on, on social media. The Serie A is back and it's back on ESPN. Uh, that surprised me. I, I didn't expect that type of reaction. And then you wonder, okay, well, is it being sports? Uh, or is it that they're watching it illegally, or are they watching it on RAI, the, the Italian network with the Italian language uh, commentary, or, or is it being sports? <clears throat> you know, I mean? is it is it that putting a, a league on being sports is holding back that league? So, so there's def- some definitely some interesting things to to ponder. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to ponder for La Liga as their rights come up in the United States in the near future, because BN as a platform uh, seems to be uh, collapsing. They they had uh, four major properties in in, in world football clubs properties. Uh, two of them, Serie A and the EFL Championship, have have moved now to ESPN networks. Right. So League Cup uh, too. Uh, Liga, uh, they have a vested interest in because of um, obviously the uh, relationship between the the, the PSG and uh, the government of Qatar, uh, which funds Al Jazeera and BN Sport. Now, as far as La Liga, you have to question now also, is La Liga at a time when they've lost Neymar and they've lost, uh, and obviously Neymar's gone to another uh, chance on BN, right? Another league that's on BN, but they've lost Neymar and they've lost Cristiano Ronaldo to Serie A, which is not going to be on ESPN if this is the time where they have to get a little concerned about their U.S. Um, partnerships and relationships. Yeah, if I'm La Liga, I'm I'm terrified about this whole situation with uh, with Comcast and being sports. I mean, and, and that's the thing though too that surprised me because so so the Serie A, the amount of questions and feedback and people asking all the time, and the amount of people talking about 
the Serie A uh, discussion point. Who's going to show it? You mean which which where's it going to go? Where can I watch the games? Now with La Liga, La Liga kicks off a week from now. Um, there's been very very little discussion or concern or anxiety. So I don't know if it's listeners or, or readers not knowing the travesty of the situation where being sports is no longer on Comcast. I mean, the, the biggest cable company in the United States, uh, as well as not being on Verizon Fios, a smaller player, but still a big name. And I'm not hearing that feedback. I'm not hearing that concern. And, then, and, and that's the thing, though. La Liga is exclusively on being sports. So if you don't get being sports and you're a La Liga fan, you're screwed. To me, La Liga is still... The top, one of the top leagues, if not the top league in the world. You look yeah. at today's transfer deadline day, most of the activity is based on, on Spain. Most of the activity is based on what players are coming out of Spain or going to Spain. And and the Premier League, although we always kind of think of it as kind of one of the top leagues in the world, it really is a more of a number two league where it's, it's, a, it's a stepping stone. So either players go to the Premier League and then go to Real Madrid or Barcelona or it's a it's a system where you get players from Real Betis and Raya Vallecano, and you mean you go down the list of all all the smaller La Liga teams, Athletic Bilbao. You mean those players going to England and becoming superstars, and then probably going back to Real Madrid or, or, or Barcelona later. But um, yeah, it's that's that's the thing I don't get, Kartik, is why there isn't a lot of anger or frustration among soccer fans about La Liga and then and that they might not be able to watch it, that I don't get. And I, I know that the numbers on being sports for La Liga are averaging about 250,000 people. So maybe it's just that they don't know. Maybe it's just that they haven't realized yet and they haven't switched on being sports in a couple of months since the season ended. Um, but if, if they haven't, they're going to be in for a huge shock. Yeah. All right, Kartik, so let's go through briefly uh, what we've been watching this past week. Anything that uh, stood out for you? Yeah, so for me, I, I start with the uh, U.S. men's national team match against Brazil. Uh, that uh, yeah, Sorry, U.S. women's national team match against Brazil, which was a uh, 4-1 win for the U.S., but it was a little more nervy, at least in the first half, and that scoreline indicates uh, you had uh, Megan Rapinoe looking just outstanding in this match. Um, the one little piece of feedback I have is that, and this is a, this is soccer related. This isn't related to Fox's broadcast, which is of course very cheery, rah rah USA. That's what you expect uh, from Fox, particularly on the women's side where the US actually does win, unlike the men's side. Uh, Crystal Dunn playing at left back, I thought was interesting uh, by Jill Ellis. Uh, he, uh, Kelly O'Hara is never that reliable when she has to play out there. Uh, Jaylene Hinkle uh, was. Uh, cut from the team for, for because of her comments. Uh, I, I think presume because of her comments about uh, LGBTQ issues. So um, with Dunn and um, and Rapino on the same side, it looked good, but I, it also looked kind of scary at times because Crystal Dunn does not have uh, the defensive positioning sense. And when you come up against a team that's going to attack you down that, that flank, uh, which you will come up against and maybe not in World Cup qualifying for CONCACAF, um, which is coming up soon, but in next summer's World Cup in France, it seems like it's something that uh, Jill Ellis and the U.S. staff is going to have to solve and figure out um, in the very near future. Sure. Um, so so, so th- th- let's do a little bit of back and forth. So so I, I watched um, PSG against Monaco, the French Super Cup, uh, speaking of being sports. And this was a match that was played in China. Uh, it was played on Saturday. I think it was like, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning. 
and uh, PSG really made mincemeat of Monaco. Uh, they won it four nil. I mean, it, it just they walked through this game, and it's um, the first piece of silverware already for PSG in this season. And uh, based on that, I mean, Mon- I mean if Monaco is going to be one of the top teams in France, maybe not this season, but. Uh, it's 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 so one-sided um, this French league. That's that's my concern about that. Yeah. So I watched the uh, Reading Derby match on Friday uh, afternoon. Uh, I was waiting to hear John Champion, and of course, had forgotten he's in the states doing the ICC games with ESPN. So uh, it, they started the season without him. Uh, Derby got a late winner. Uh, Frank Lampard wins his managerial debut. So saw that. Um, and then uh, went up to New Jersey after that for the Miami FC NPSL championship game. Um, so I missed uh, the PSG Monaco match because they didn't have BN in the hotel, uh, which is another problem with matches on BN. Um, and then you, uh, their digital product is very, very dodgy. Although I, I suppose I could have watched it on Fubo, now that I think about it. Uh, but uh, Atlanta TFC, it's amazing this Atlanta thing, Chris, because um, – People who work even in, in uh, um, NASL, it's not NASL anymore, but work on, you know, outside MLS, want to watch Atlanta games. So a lot of the Miami FC staff wanted to keep an eye on this game, not and not for Toronto, uh, because of the Atlanta phenomenon and Joseph Martinez. And then some of the Miami FC players, we bust out to the match uh, from our hotel, from the Hyatt Regency, to, to, the, to the ground uh, during this match. And some of the players... And I have, most of the players are listening to music on their their iPods or whatever. Uh, some were actually sitting watching this game um, mm. as we bust in, um, and, and it was and another it, and that's, kind of. And, that, and that's the thing, though, too. With Atlanta, we give them kind of a lot of stick in terms of I do at least the the artificial turf and uh, the Mercedes Benz Stadium, which is in fact I mean magnificent, but does feel kind of fake at times just in terms of the atmosphere i mean it's, it's the atmosphere is good but it's just more of, it feels like an indoor stadium and uh nothing like the the bobby dodd stadium it's kind of a more traditional uh stadium so to speak but i will say though i mean with atlanta they could become one of the the top teams in the nation not just in in the, in the georgia area or southeast but a lot of it to me i think is down to just the exciting brand of football that they play. They're an attacking team. They're, they're fantastic to watch. And Joseph Martinez is, is just, just one of, of many uh, stars on that side. Yeah, it's the way Tata Martino has them playing that makes everyone want to watch. And uh, I think that there's a lot of stereotyping and, and maybe unfair critiques of, of Major League Soccer's level of play. But a lot of these people I talk to say, yeah, they don't want to watch anyone else in MLS. They all play the same way, except for Atlanta, who plays a different brand of football. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there are other teams in MLS that play nice, open, attacking, attractive soccer, try and move the ball around um, the, the pitch, uh, one and two touch passing. Uh, maybe they don't pull it off quite as well as Atlanta does because the skill level of American players, I mean, the skill level of the foreign players coming into MLS is very high, but the skill level of American players is still deficient, uh, to say the least, for the most part. But um, there's something about Atlanta. Every, everyone wants to watch them and, and uh, experience that again on Saturday. Going back to uh, that Reading Derby game, so I finally took the plunge, Kartik. I, I'd been waiting, what, since what, April, March or April, when uh, ESPN Plus launched, and I finally took the plunge and signed up for it. I signed up for it because I'm a Swansea City fan, and I wanted to watch the championship. I, I missed the Reading Derby game, but I did watch... Um, Ipswich against Blackburn on Saturday, which was very entertaining. 
uh, as well as Sheffield United against Swansea on uh, Saturday afternoon. That was the first away win for Swansea in the entire 2018 calendar year. So I was ecstatic on that one. First impressions of uh, ESPN Plus is that um, there's no Chromecast for Android phones. It's only on, on the Apple or iOS, which I'm sure over time they'll update the Android app. Uh, that was uh, a negative. The logging in is kind of clunky. Like I would log in and then yeah, go yeah. to another page, come back, and it would ask me to log in again. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't be able to find the games. So there's a lot of refreshing and trying to log in. I think it's better on the, the Roku app from what I've seen so far, but um, it's definitely not the finished product by any means. But you can't beat the price. I mean, for $5 a month, I'm willing to kind of go through those uh, inconveniences uh, to watch the championship. And now with Serie A added on, it, it's a no-brainer. I think it's, it's something that most soccer fans are going to gravitate towards. Um, I will say out of probably the f- – now, there's five – there's probably more than this, but there's five streaming platforms out there that are um, from leagues or, or from or from companies. So you got ESPN Plus, you got Bleacher Report Live, you got Fox Soccer Match Pass, uh, you got NBC Sports Gold, and I think there's another one I'm forgetting about. Uh, oh, DAZN, DAZN, which is the one that's going to be launching in September in the United States. Uh, it's already available overseas. Out of those five. I would say DAZN by far is the number one in terms of the the interface, how easy it is to use. Um, the, the design of it is absolutely fantastic. Um, number five probably is Bleach Report Live. It's still clunky. It's still, if you want to find something, you have to type it in, and then it goes to another page, and then you have to click on it again, and then get to another page. And then you have to try and figure out, okay, which of these games are actually on the Bleacher Report Live and which are the ones that are... Because they show everything. They show they list everything, but they only show yeah. the ones that they have the rights to. So that interface is not the greatest. Fox Soccer Match Pass, we know, isn't the greatest. NBC Sports Goal is, is okay, but uh, and ESPN, ESPN Plus is probably I, number two for me. I have to say, on Bleacher Report Live, Chris, uh, there are times where I have been reminded of about events that I had intended to watch that are on other um, platforms because they list every every match yep. in the competitions that you've selected. So um, that's that, that, that's something that I I mean, they're doing a service, I suppose, but at the same they're trying to be thorough. Uh, but at the same time, they're actually helping uh, stimulate uh, interest in things that are uh, on competitive uh, platforms. Yeah, I like the idea behind that in regards to it's one place you can go to and find out kind of where everything's listed. Yeah, me too. But but, but just the execution of it so far is, is, is not the greatest in terms of you're trying to figure out, okay, what stuff do they have? What stuff don't they have? Who has it? And it's, it's just a lot of clicks and a lot of back and forth. Um, so the, the design of it needs work. It's, it's early days. Hopefully it'll evolve over time. But um you mean it's anyway, it is what it is and and it works the actual streaming of the games seem to be fine it's it's still early days so a lot of the uh Champions League uh playoff games and Europa League playoff games are uh shown without commentary so um yeah. so it's 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 hard to get a feel for okay is this the finished product i i don't think it is yet but we we'll have to wait and see um uh, so so the uh, Chelsea Man City uh, Community Shield on ESPN Plus. Speaking of of that, on Sunday, um, what a boring game! <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, to me, to me, it was just Manchester City controlling the whole match. 
I'll tell you how boring it was. So um, I'm in a hotel, Hyatt Regency. We won the title last night. We'll admit that uh, the players, coaches, front office, you know, people like me who consult for the club, uh, we were all out very late. Uh, but I made sure I got up well in advance of this match, got the lineup, I got the team sheet, saw Phil Foden was on it, was real excited that he was going to get a run out from Pep in this match. Uh, he looked great, but I watched 30 minutes. Uh, it was Martin Tyler and Stuart Robson on, on ESPN Plus, the world feed. And I decided, you know what? I, I'm just going to go ahead and check out of the hotel because I was having this 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 thing. Oh, do I go out down at halftime and like quickly check out at halftime and sit in the lobby for the entire second half and watch it? Um, so I watched the first 30 minutes, then went down and checked out, um, walked around Morristown a bit, checked out the town, came back for – the second half, uh, the latter part of the second half, turned on ESPN Plus uh, in the lobby. Came back to the lobby, had them hold my luggage, and it was uh, 2-0 by that time. But it was just a – I mean, I, we, have to, we have to remind ourselves that this is the quickest um, the top flight of English football has started after a World Cup in, 50, in over 50 years. So um, there is um, – a clunkiness to the start, right? And maybe we're going to see that even at the start of the Premier League season uh, this week, this coming weekend, Chris, where uh, teams are just not ready and uh, there's still fatigue. Yeah. But it felt like a World Cup hangover because it was just a it was just a terrible match. Yeah, honestly, and, and I'm not sure how much of it is Chelsea in terms of you mean new coach. New, new methods. You know, I mean, just completely just, different system. I mean, a different totally system, different. right? So it's going to take some time for them to to gel. Maybe it's more that. I mean, Man City, I thought was just in control from minute one all the way through, and uh, it's it's to me, it felt like watching an international Champions Cup game. Nothing that nothing yeah. against that. It just felt kind of a, a, a slower pace than than an average Community Shield game. But 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 for me, Kartik, the, the game of the weekend or the game of this past week that I saw, I thought was absolutely fantastic was Leeds United against Stoke City uh, from the championship. Um, Leeds United, in the opening game of the season for, for, um, for the club, had over 34,000 fans in attendance. Uh, most of them were standing throughout the entire game, incred- creating an incredible atmosphere and uh, a really good game. I mean, Leeds United um, looks strong, and uh, Stoke is going to have some problems unless uh, I think they start using... Peter Crouch more and go more direct. Um, so, so an entertaining game and, and a great atmosphere on uh, ESPN Plus. Yeah, it was uh, pretty stunning to me that Bielsa was playing on the back four because he's he's renowned for the back three. He's tried to play with the back three even at his previous stops at European clubs, so Athletic, Bilbao, and uh, Marseille. It hasn't always come off, uh, but there's always the famous story that people tell of when Bielsa showed up at the Argentine camp. Uh, he asked the players to vote whether they would want to play a back three or a back four, they all voted for a back four. And Bielsa said, okay, we're going to play a back three. <laughs> <laughs> and they played a back three for his entire six-year tenure, right? And then same thing with Chile. Um, but they played a back four. There is so much excitement, though, it just about Leeds in general because of Bielsa. Mm-hmm. Um, this yep. is a manager that um, everybody fancies around the world who's a fan. Now, uh, front office uh, folks, owners – uh, players sometimes have a difficult time getting on with him, but he's uh, he's very uh, opinionated. He's very um, rigid in his methodology, and he's also he also produces arguably the most entertaining football on the planet. So uh, Leeds fans are excited; they're going to be entertained this year. Other championship clubs who face Leeds, their fans are going to be entertained, 
And guess what? Uh, the thing that made, that relieves me is that we no longer have to hear uh, rumors from overly optimistic American soccer fans who think the U.S. is some sort of nirvana of, of coaching where uh, everybody would want the U.S. job because it's a sleeping giant. Every time the U.S. job is open, including now, Bielsa's name comes up without fail. And people are saying, oh, well, Bielsa, Bielsa is going to want to take this job. This is where he's going to want to retire. So he's he's got another job now. So that's uh, a relief for me, at least hearing that sort of nonsense that comes up every time the U.S. job is open. All right. So before we move on um, to the next segment, uh, Liga Mekis on, on yeah. FS1. Yeah, Tijuana and Leon. Uh, 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 watch that match. Uh, I've begun watching uh, as much as I can the Liga Mekis matches. Or actually, they presented as as of oh, it's a league uh, uh, it's a league package, which it's not for FS1. But that's how I would do it too. You don't want to uh, associate a national brand with a single club, obviously, and, and a club that's not one of the more prominent clubs in Mexico. But um, I thought Jovan Karofsky was pretty good in his analysis. Um, he's obviously studied up on the league. They've done a few games now. Um, maybe he should have been on Fox's World Cup team. I mean, oh, for sure. Uh, I, I, I was, uh, again, I had forgotten about Karofsky during the course of the World Cup. We'd mentioned in, in our disappointment at, at, at other people being omitted uh, from that World Cup team, Brian Dunseth and others. Uh, but I listened to Karofsky, and he was, he was pretty good. He was sharp. Uh, his analysis was timely. Uh, he, he, he gets the league. And uh, that's just another miss for Fox. I mean, Fox, we, we, we criticize Fox a lot, but part of it is that even within their own uh, family of, uh, of, uh, of soccer commentators, they make decisions. So it's not just do they not they don't have the, maybe the talent level that um, we believe that NBC and, um, and ESPN and maybe in the future Turner has, but they also just make the wrong choices within that talent pool. And uh, I thought Karofsky was really good for the, for the full 90 minutes and, thought oh my gosh you know this they, they could have had him on set instead of uh any number of people <laughs> they had during uh, right. the world cup in russia yeah yeah you could make an all-star team of talent of the people that they left behind in los angeles and didn't take to russia yeah. um you know keith costigan brian dunseth Jovan Karoski, uh ian joy i mean ian you can go down the list yeah. i mean there's some yeah. really really smart soccer people that know the game inside and out uh, and and uh, Karoski is, is a perfect example of that I'm, I'm shocked, though, Kartik. I am absolutely shocked. I sh- maybe I shouldn't be shocked. But Fox has not made, not, not, not announced one word that they even have Liga Mekis coverage. That they haven't announced that they have the um, Club Tijuana or Monterey. So for the vast majority of soccer fans or sports fans or journalists in the United States, nobody knows that they even have these games. So I, I don't understand... The, the basics of of publicity and promotion of just writing a press release or kind of a something getting the word out to let people know that they have this property and encouraging people to actually watch it it's it's almost as if they they want it to fail which which is absolutely ridiculous but i i just don't understand maybe they've had layoff layoffs and they're short staffed but still that's no excuse i i don't know Ah, oh, gosh. Okay, right. Let's move on, Kartik, to TV streaming news. And let's kick off. We, we, we've already talked about Serie A and ESPN+. Plus. Uh, just a little bit more details on that. So for the game of the week uh, throughout the season, there's going to be approximately 40 games, 4-0 games on ESPN or ESPN2. And then the other 340 games are going to be on ESPN+, Plus exclusively. 
Um, so it's uh, a great package, and um, the first game starts on Saturday, August 18th, on ESPN Plus, which is going to be Verona against Juventus on um, ESPN Plus with a. Uh, Ronaldo's debut, so there's going to be a lot of um, anticipation for that one. Anything else, Kartik, with this with this Serie R deal that we haven't mentioned yet that you want to share? Yeah, keep in mind, Serie A has a few midweek uh, uh, match days, so you, you're probably going to get uh, some ESPN or ESPN two matches uh, midweek, uh, which is a which is a nice thing for fans, right? Uh, it, particularly if they're at their office, uh, etc. You will get a slew of ESPN plus broadcast midweek uh, in, on those match days uh, where uh, uh, where you're, you're stuck at the office. So that's, I think, a neat thing. And then I think one other thing that's, that's pretty important when it comes down to it is that for the ESPN FC program, um, and I, I, they don't really need highlights to drive that program, right? Right. In fact, during the International Champions Cup, because they have rights to everything, there's been less analysis than usual uh, on the program because they've, they've been able, they've been loading, packing lots of highlights into things, but this gives them um, the ability to show highlights from Serie A last season. And I, BN is very stingy with their highlights. Another thing about BN. Okay. So um, they're very stingy. They would release highlights of Serie A matches to ESPN. If it were going on sports center or some, uh, mainstream sports program, but often they would uh, only give a clip or two, or not even do that uh, to um, to ESPN uh, if uh, um, if uh, it was for the ESPN FC show. So th- this, I think, uh, will resolve that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One more thing too about Serie A and ESPN Plus is that uh, the commentators for the ESPN Plus uh, broadcast will be the world feed. And uh, a decision hasn't been reached yet in terms of the game of the week that's going to be on ESPN or ESPN2. Um, I would imagine it would be ESPN talent. I mean, they've got so many great uh, analysts and commentators in-house uh, that they can utilize. And then also with the ESPN FC, I mean, you've got Gavin McCarty that you can bring in for some analysis from time to time. Um, they've got a lot of talent that they can use. So I would imagine that they would uh, utilize that uh, for their uh, game of the week uh, broadcast. Now, moving on, uh, Turner Sports has today announced the signing of two new analysts to join their team of talent for the UEFA Champions League uh, coverage. Uh, we had already previously known about uh, Kate Abdo uh, being the host, as well as Steve Nash, uh, the former NBA star, uh, being part of the coverage. And we now know that Tim Howard has officially been announced, as well as Stuart Holden is going to be an analyst uh, on the UEFA Champions League coverage. So so both Tim Howard and Stu Holden will be doing the studio analysis uh, along with Steve Nash and then hosted by Kate Abdo. Kartik, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I, I think that it's quite uh, quite an interesting uh, addition of Stu Holden, who uh, I, I believe does pretty good studio work too. Uh, he's he's developed to be a good co-commentator, but I think he's, he's good in the studio. Um, as well, and has really kind of developed uh, an understanding of how uh, to, to interact with other studio personnel, which is why, again, Fox not using him in that role during the World Cup, where uh, now Russia is different than France. But we saw what happened with Taylor Twelman during the um, during the Euros, where Twelman, if he had a day off from commentating, generally made an appearance in the studio. We didn't see that with Holden during the World Cup at Fox, and. Uh, I thought that that was a good, would have been a good use of him. So I think that's a nice addition. Tim Howard, 
Um, Tim Howard, I think, got better as time went on um, in the uh, NBC uh, booth with Arlo White or with Steve Bauer. Uh, the concern I have about him is, again, he's never really done studio work. He's done interviews. He's given interviews. Uh, but he I think his training in a um, broadcast sense has been as a co-commentator, which is very different than being a studio analyst. He'll probably be pretty good, though, because I think he he developed um, other than Liverpool fans who complain about him uh, because <laughs> Everton player and um, maybe exhibited some signs of bias at times. But other than Liverpool fans, I think people eventually became pretty comfortable with uh, Tim Howard as a co-commentator uh, on NBC when he was put in. It, initially, it was like, ah, it's the American guy who's a, who's a player. We don't want to hear from him. But it, he got quite good by the end. Yeah, I think it was Tim Howard's uh... – you look back at Brad Friedel. I mean, Brad Friedel in the beginning was very monotone, didn't really say much. Back way back when, when he was doing some uh, some co-commentary, and I think over time he got better and better. Uh, up up until the point of uh, like a year ago, and I think Fox has, it had been a slam dunk to go into the World Cup, but then got the coaching job. With Tim Howard, I think at the end of the day, we, I, we don't know. We don't know what his analysis is like. We really haven't heard his analysis, and I mean, also being able to, to deliver it and give it in a, in a cogent manner, and I mean, and, and back it up. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see kind of what his thoughts are. And also, I, the Premier League was a league he he played in for well over a decade, and. Um, it wasn't that difficult to throw Howard in uh, a, d- a day that Roberto Martinez didn't have training at Everton, throw him into the into the broadcast booth uh, and have him um, give analysis because he knew the league. But in terms of uh, Champions League, he's an active MLS player now. Uh, sure, he'll do fine with the English teams. He'll probably do fine, fine with guys that were playing in the Premier League who might be on Spanish or Italian teams now. But he... He probably doesn't know the non-English teams as well as he needs to. So that's another concern. Um, but, again, you know, I, I think we're, we're, we're accustomed, and we'll, we'll get the complaints, right, from people uh, as the season wears on. We're accustomed to there being some degree of kind of bias towards English clubs in Champions League coverage in the United States in general. So um, just yeah. out of familiarity. But I, that would be my biggest concern about Howard. And a hold-in, too, quite frankly, even though we did Champions League last year, uh, and uh, called mm-hmm. the final with John Strong. I think it's pretty obvious he knows the English clubs better than he knows the other clubs. That, yeah. That's another another thing with Holden. So uh, it'll be, uh, and you know, we're going to get the hate mail. It'll probably, and with Steve Nash, who's a Spurs fan and who's Canadian, it will, and Kate Abdo, it'll probably be a pretty Anglo-centric uh, broadcast team. But that's, look, that's what you get in English language in the United States. I, I, I mean, I, I complain about it too at times, uh, as folks know, but I'm just... And kind of resigned to it. That's what yeah. you're going to get. As far as the blend goes, I mean, you've got a very NBC Sports-like uh, commentary or an uh, analyst group. So yeah. you've got Tim Howard that used to play in, in the Premier League. You've got Stuart Holden, who was born in Scotland and uh, played in the Premier League. Played in the Premier League, has, has uh, family overseas in the UK. And then you've got Kate Abdo, who's English. And then you've got Steve Nash, who's, whose family... Uh, is very soccer centric, and I think his dad yeah. played in in England too. I think it was. So, but 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 then again, it's it's a smart move by Turner. But then you've got most of those are Americans, so you've got uh, a good blend of. At the end of the day, I think it comes down to 
whether or not uh, Stuart Holden and Tim Howard and Steve Nash are going to uh, basically research and work as hard as people like Kyle Martino and Taylor Twellman ha- have done on, on their on their gigs. And that's, at the end of the day, that's what it'll come down to as far as you know, how hard they work on, on their analysis and research and I, um, I, delivering that. I hate to bring this up. I, I'm going to. Uh, I think you might see also in Holden a guy who looks better prepared and looks more comfortable and uh, is giving more uh, concise and cognizant analysis, even though we've said he's quite good at Fox uh, by the standard of Fox, you might see him better at Turner just because I think that there is a culture at Fox uh, at times of, of, of maybe not preparing the broadcasters as well as they should. Maybe in the case of Holden overusing him as an, as an analyst where some days as a co-commentator where some days he's not as sharp as others. Uh, so I, th- I expect him to be very good. I, yeah. I know a lot of our listeners don't like him and have partly judged him by being part of the Fox team. I think he's he might step out and, and really impress us yeah. uh, as part of the Turner team, which is surrounded by the likes of Kate Abdo and Steve Nash. I think Steve Nash will be very good if he prepares. Right. Uh, I've seen interviews with him. Uh, uh, obviously, a lot of the interviews have been about basketball, but I've seen interviews with him about, about football, about soccer. He knows the sport. Uh, again, he knows it from a bit of an anglicized perspective, which I'm sure people are going to complain about. But he does know, at least when it comes to the English game, he knows the game. Yeah, for Stuart Tolden, this is a smart move. I mean, because he's not involved in the MLS broadcasts for Fox. And other than the Bundesliga, I mean, that's all Fox has other than the big tournaments like the World Cup or Gold Cup, etc. So for him, it's it's a perfect segue to he's still employed by Fox. He's going to be a, a freelancer working for uh, Turner Sports. And um, you mean so throughout the most of the year, uh, he's going to be busy, and in the summertime, probably go back to Fox and do Gold Cup coverage or World Cup or Women's World Cup, whatever it may be. All right, Kartik, let's move on to the next uh, news item. Yeah, so, uh, so um, La Liga and Serie A games may be streamed for free on Facebook in the UK in the latest threat to Sky and BT dominance, uh, and of course. Uh, there has been already also a lot of talk, uh, Chris, with this maybe goes along with this news item about 11 sports and, and La Liga. So uh, this, is, this is part of that. Yeah, so, so, so the deal went through. Uh, so in the UK, uh, 11 sports now has the rights to La Liga and Serie A. Um, 11 sports is available in the US, but you won't be able to get um, the coverage from the UK. Um, it's, it's on Fubo. They have, uh, they have they've had a bunch of friendlies this summer, uh, if you're interested. But for Eleven Sports, what they've done, so they're launching La Liga and Serie A in the UK, but there'll be one game a week that's going to be uh, available for free in the UK only on Facebook. So what they've done, they've actually positioned Facebook as their free-to-air, or over-the-air um, partner. And Facebook then will, will broadcast those games uh, one game a week for, from La Liga and Serie A. And then that will help promote 11 sports. And then I'm sure they're hoping that people will subscribe to 11 sports in the UK for that. So it's, it's an interesting take um, on kind of using Facebook as a way to, to push games out there for free. Now, uh, just two more things, Kartik, real fast. So Dish Network has warned uh, Univision and uh, subscribers that uh, the blackout that's preventing Univision from being on Sling TV as well as um, Dish Network could become permanent. So this this has been going on since, I think, June 30th, where um, Dish Network, who owns Sling TV, 
wasn't able to come to an agreement with Univision, including Univision Deporters, Galavision, Unamas, all the Univision channels. So as a result of the carriage dispute, Univision channels are no longer available on Sling TV. And then on the Dish Network, uh, the only one that's available there is, I think, Univision Deporters. Now, what Liga Mekis, or actually, no, what Univision has done is the games that usually would be on Univision uh, Deporters, they've moved a lot of those to Univision, uh, thus kind of raising, you mean, raising the bar a little bit, trying to leverage that so that, um, so that people that are Dish subscribers or, or Sling TV subscribers will get even more upset and complain more at, at Dish or Sling TV to try to get their Univision channels back. But Dish has now warned Univision that uh, it could become a permanent uh, blackout and that, that Univision channels may not be available through Dish or Sling TV uh, for the future. Now, that, that, that's, <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty, I mean, I, I mean for Liga Mackeys, which we know is the number one most watched league in the United States, that's a devastating blow, especially if you're a Dish subscriber or a Sling TV subscriber. But it also evolves into being sports too. I mean, we know that being sports has had the blackout uh, on Comcast and Verizon Fios now for over a week. And uh, if this Dish Uni- uh, Univision deal is anything to be uh, looked at as, as similar, it could be it could be weeks or months before the being sports and uh, Comcast deal is, is done. If if, it, if it's done at all, um, so so some worrying times there. Kartik, have you have you noticed in, in in terms of social media any any type of um, outreach by uh, being sports? Uh, I know I have. Yeah, I, I've noticed a lot, and they're they're waging a campaign um, about cable carriage rates and and, and accessibility, which which um, would be smart if they were in a position of strength, but now they're in a position of weakness, and uh, I, I think maybe it's um, desperate measures yeah. to try and turn the public uh, against the cable carriers, which I, I think BN has every right to do, quite honestly. I, but um, unfortunately, they, their point of leverage uh, has gone. So uh, maybe a more concerted effort from BN Sport on this matter uh, six months ago, nine months ago, when their disputes with Comcast had started, um, would have been more uh, more appropriate. Uh, maybe there was the fear at the time that they'd get dropped. Well, they got dropped anyway. So yeah. hindsight is always twenty twenty. But um, I, I, I think that they certainly have a leg to stand on in this dispute. But uh, their campaign and them trying to rile up people on Twitter about it has come uh, a day late and probably a dollar short, to use an American expression. So yeah. Um, but Absolutely. they're out there. If you go on Twitter anytime, <laughs> yeah. you're going to see a lot of uh, campaigning from BN. Yeah, and and, and you, you summed it up perfectly, Kartik. It, it is a it's, it's desperation. That's what it feels like because anytime on on Twitter, I'm mentioning kind of people ask me about what's going on with uh, BN Sports and, and Verizon, what's going on with BN Sports and Comcast. I'll reply, and then BN Sports will jump into the conversation and I mean cut and paste. Uh, you mean. They're kind of like, well, Comcast is is uh, has dropped us and demand that they bring us bring it back. Go ahead and sign up here or call the same old stuff. So probably a lot of uh, listeners have uh, seen the same type of tweets too. It is too little, too late though. I mean, that, that's that's the thing about being sports is that uh, this is probably the first time in the history of being sports's Twitter uh, feed that they've actually been very proactive and very active. Um, 
you mean this is this is something they should have done a long time ago in terms of keeping people updated, and it just feels too late and it feels too desperate, and and that's the thing too. I mean, with being sports. There's so many issues with being sports. I, I like being sports as a channel. I like the talent that they have. Um, I don't agree with all, a lot of the business decisions. But one of the biggest issues I've had with being sports is they've been very insular. They haven't really kind of. So, so you, you talked about uh, TV rights. Oftentimes, you mean whether it's ESPN, FC, or other channels wouldn't wouldn't be provided with TV uh, highlights of of games that were on being sports. Being sports have no partners. So, for example, the Bundesliga, uh, which is uh, under Fox Sports, Fox Sports sub-licensed some of those games out to Univision and, and to Univision Deportes and Unamas. And that has helped the Bundesliga and that has helped Fox uh, increase the, the Bundesliga throughout the United States. Being Sports has no partners. They have nobody that they can say, hey, well, these games that are, are supposed to be on Comcast, we've been blacked out. So we're going to push the, some of these games onto, I don't know, ESPN Deportes or, or, or something. There's no partnerships in, uh, involved there. So from a business perspective, I have a lot of issues. And uh, if I'm a Comcast subscriber and you're listening, I would seriously think about dropping Comcast and, and going to somebody else that has uh, been sports because I, I don't see this being resolved anytime soon. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV ratings. We don't have a bunch. We don't have a lot here. Uh, we will have the full list at worldsoccertalk.com. We're compiling that today. We'll have that posted on Thursday. Uh, just a few numbers that jumped out uh, from this past week. Man United against Real Madrid in the ICC on ESPN2, uh, 186,000 viewers on a Tuesday night. Um, the U.S. women's team against uh, Brazil that you mentioned, you watched that game on FS1, was 332,000 viewers. Uh, the MLS All-Star game, uh, Juventus against the MLS All-Star team, that one had uh, 947,000 viewers, so almost a, a million viewers across Univision Deportes, Unamas, and ESPN. Now, while that number sounds good, it's actually down 50% from last year. Last year it was 1.9 million, uh, almost 2 million um, in 2017. But the big difference, Kartik, is it's a difference between having Real Madrid play and Juventus play. And I think it comes down to that. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I absolutely agree on that. All right. Let's jump into listener mailbag. We've got a bunch this week. Uh, first one up is Edition uh, by Relegation. He says, uh, just finished the pod. For Bleacher Report Live, there is a feedback tab. And about two weeks ago, I, I messaged them and asked them for an option to hide the scores. So the response they gave that, li- that listener irritates me. Uh, match pass was great about that, so hopefully they changed that. And and I think actually that that was, that was a topic that came up last week, and it was one of those things that uh, I think I misunderstood the question, but they were talking about spoilers. And I think what they mean is um, um, the actual listener means is not during the game itself, where Fox sometimes will say, "Okay, well, what in the other game that's happening right now, the score is nil nil or whatever it may be," but more so when you go to an app. And you go to watch a game that you didn't watch, you didn't see live. You want to watch it on demand because you were at work or, or away for the weekend, whatever. That the score is actually listed on the app before you actually click play, uh, which is definitely very, very irritating. So hopefully that'll be fixed on uh, Bleacher Report Live in the near future. Uh, Cliff Kloband uh, says, "I'm an old man, born well before television, so new t- new technology is not my gig." 
I don't get get it. Besides economics and fights between content and local carriages, carriage that deal with streaming. My first TV was a seven-inch screen. Now I'm streaming to a 13-inch laptop and a five-inch smartphone, rather than my 55-inch TV. And it seems to be retrogression. What I would say to this uh, Cliff and other listeners is. I would invest in a, a Roku streaming stick. It's, uh, I think they retail for like $50. Uh, once you buy it, you'll be hooked, and you can just put that into your HDMI port and then into your 55-inch uh, TV screen and then sign up for s- streaming services, whether it's uh, Fubo or Sling TV or PlayStation View or you know, YouTube TV, whatever it may be, and then you can stream that directly to your big screen TV. And for me, I mean, so I cut the cord over a year ago, uh, we don't have cable. We just have internet and then streaming packages. For me and, and the kids, I don't think anyone know, realizes the, the difference that we don't have cable. It's just it's everything's now on the TV set. All we do is just switch on the TV and switch on the Roku, and 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 that's our remote. Monty Reed sent this in. Uh, Monty says, "Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. I know that you all talk about different providers on the show all the time, and I have a pretty good idea." Um, the services that you subscribe to. But with soccer season starting and with all the choices that we have, I was wondering which services and add-ons both of you subscribe to and why. So, Kartik, I'll go through on those pretty quickly. So I mentioned I have a Roku player. Uh, I have an Apple TV. Um, I don't use that that often, but sometimes I need that for testing in terms of you mean some of these new apps and things. Uh, other than that, do I have anything else? Uh, I, I did have an Amazon Fire t- a TV stick, but that broke. So that's gone. But I'd say about probably 90% of my viewing is uh, either on a laptop or on my Roku. And then as far as the, the services I subscribe to, I've got Fubo TV, which I watch most of uh, my soccer on, uh, Sling TV for those games that are not on Fubo, which are mostly the ESPN coverage, as well as HBO and some of the other, other stuff. Um what else is there? Um, ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus. Start. ESPN Plus. And Bleacher Report Live. Yeah. And um, that's about it. And, and, and for me, that's that's all I need. So I've got a Roku stick. I still have cable or DirecTV. Uh, and I have a Roku stick, as I said, which I get a lot on. I get I subscribe to Fubo. I subscribe to Bleacher Report Live. I was, was subscribe to ESPN Plus. And, Chris, uh, I'm probably going to regret it in a few weeks, but – this week, I just renewed NBC Sports Gold. No, in fact, yesterday. no. Yeah. Well, no. I think I think it's fine. I, I mean, it, it is. I mean, that's the thing. Is 150 games a season, and you know, you know, and I know. There's there's games that are on there that are like, you mean, if it's a truthfully, board- we're recording this on transfer deadline day. Part of the reason I subscribed to it was for that <laughs> because they have a lot of programming today, deadline day related. Yeah. Programming. Yeah, but, but but even games though too. I mean, have, yeah. having the ability. I mean, if you work it out to how many games it is, or how much you pay per week, or how much you pay per per month, whatever it is, it's not very. It's much. not. It's not very much. Yeah. I mean, it's fifty bucks a season, and it's well worth it. Uh, we would rather not pay it, but yeah. it, I think I think it's worth it at the end of the day. Uh, Tim Keen says, uh, "I was very disappointed in your comments about the possibility of merging of soccer bodies. This is in regards to Concacaf and uh, Conmebol. You said it should protect the countries who qualify for the World Cup. We saw this year that the serious lack of ability in many qualifying c- countries. Panama being thrashed by England as an example. Why would you want to d- defend such miserable teams in a competition that's meant to be the best?" 
And, um, I would say if it's meant to be the best, get Africa out, get uh, North America out, and get uh, uh, Asia out. Okay, and just have South America and Europe. Uh, unfortunately, you know what? And I may not mind that. I mean, I kind of like the flavor. We saw some of the tweets, maybe back and forth between uh, Nipuncho, pro former co-host of this podcast, and I uh, and others during the World Cup about Saudi Arabia and Panama, the United States. If they had qualified, probably would have been the worst team in the entire tournament. Uh, probably worse than even Panama, or probably same level. Um, but I guess FIFA has made the decision it is a World Cup, and it's not just a, an intercontinental championship of South America and Europe. Um, that having been said, I'm not quite sure I want, said I wanted to protect the teams that qualify. I think I said in a 48-team World Cup, it would protect the teams that already qualify because we're going to 48 teams. And the five teams from South America that qualified this time, well, Peru is, a, is one that, that, that was a surprise. But generally, the other four would qualify in a 48-team World Cup setup. Uh, when Colombia, Colombia went uh, for, uh, 16 years without qualifying for a World Cup, they were always fifth, fifth or sixth or seventh in South America qualifying. So they would qualify now. Uh, in this setup, particularly if you merge the, the federations. I do not think, if you merge the confederations, I do not think the United States would regularly qualify for World Cups, even 48-team World Cups, if they had to qualify through a qualifying process with South America. Um, I know a lot of American fans will disagree. They have historically overrated their players and overrated their national team. Um, so you can send me feedback about that. But I don't think the U.S. – I think there's maybe one World Cup the U.S. would have qualified for uh, in the last 20 years out of uh, common ball, and that would have been 2006. It, which is a World Cup the U.S. didn't do well in. But that's the only time I could actually have seen them thrown in South America qualifying, given the level of competition in South America at the time and have got through it. And, and Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm not defending the miserable teams that, that <laughs> make it into the World Cup. I don't know miserable. I mean, they, they are what they are. But what, what I was defending was that CONCACAF, in terms of their power that they have within FIFA as a separate co- confederation, do not want to merge with with another confederation because that means fewer teams going through, making it harder for the U.S. to, to make it into a World Cup as well as other CONCACAF nations. The same with Commabol. Commabol I mean, would love to have some more spots to qualify into the World Cup, but they, they need to become separate um, just in terms of keeping their own power. I, I, look back, I look at Wales and look at Wales as a member of FIFA. Uh, if Wales joins with uh, Scotland and Northern Ireland and England and say, OK, we're going to form a, a Great Britain team like we had at the Olympics, but we're going to make it permanent. Wales would lose a lot of the, their power yeah. uh, within FIFA. So it, it's more of a, a power struggle. At the end of the day... Yeah, con, con, joining CONCACAF and Commonwealth would, would be fantastic uh, in terms of the football and, and raising the level of competition, but it's, it's not going to happen. John Manning says, uh, I get your point about uh, AstroTurf and domes looking bad on television, but since nearly any American player or fan under 30 grew up playing on turf a lot, then my, by definition, it, it is authentic. Ideal? No. Authentic? Yes. I agree about the dome part. Also, it is more uh, the urban, less suburban areas that have less land and higher field usage rates and are thus adding more turf. So diversity in the U.S. means more turf, not less, practically speaking. And to be clear, I'm not saying turf is great, just being practical. It may not be authentic to 1850s England, but neither is the Vuvuzela or midfielders that complete 50 sideways passes in a single match. Um, yeah, I, I agree that the field usage rates, we're seeing more and more turf fields, we're seeing more and more guys play on 
uh, turf fields, train on turf fields, kind of come of age on turf fields. That's all true. But what I would say in response is that I haven't met a player yet who prefers to play on turf than grass. And I'll just, I have to go with my own experiences. Miami FC team, we, we have a, a problem uh, with our travel, which I think has been documented on social media. I don't want to go back through it uh, on this show, but problem with our travel last week to get up to New Jersey. Um, some of the players' anxiety was they knew that the field was a turf field and they feel like they need a walkthrough. They need to understand the hops. They need to understand the bounces. They need to understand the footing in a way they wouldn't necessarily on a grass pitch. Um, and there was some hesitation because they didn't get the, the normal walkthrough that, that was scheduled because of the, the flight delays and, and diversions and everything because because of the storms in the Northeast. The first 10 or 15 minutes of the match on Saturday with a lot of hesitation from the players. I know talking uh, – to, to, to some of them, uh, they didn't like the turf. They didn't like the fact that they were like four sets of lines on the turf. So um, I, I, I get it that it's becoming more practical. And as we also add fields in inner city areas, lower income areas, it's much more economical. But player preferences for competitive matches. Right. Professional. Not, for right. professional competitive matches is not to play on turf. Now, yeah. if they train all week on turf, if they um, – if they grow up in an area where they're playing on turf fields, I guess that's just the reality now. But you still talk to those players under 30 who grew up on turf fields. They don't want to play competitive matches, particularly championship matches, like this situation for Miami FC last week, on artificial turf, on an artificial surface. That's just – that's universal. That's 99% yeah. of the players. Yeah, it's it's practical if you're living in uh, Siberia or, or the inner city, whether there's – even in terms of the, the usage rates of, of those pieces of land or, or, the, or the climate – Yes, but it is practical. Toronto has grass on right. the field. But that's a, the, the last Women's World Cup in Canada. You mean all, all the pitches, most of the pitches having artificial turf. That's ridiculous. This is a professional game. You mean, at the end of the day, it's, a lot of it is focused on, on the money. And the money is there to invest in, in natural grass. Uh, it's just that they're being cheap. Uh, Yannick Rampke uh, continues this conversation. He says, I understand your consternation with artificial turf and closed roof stadiums in the USA for soccer. It's bad for atmosphere. But from a financial point of view, it makes sense as Major League Soccer continues to lose money. Kartik, that's a big question, too. If you, if you listen to MLS, it's like kind of woe is me. We're losing money. We're losing millions. The reality is quite different, I think, in terms of uh, the way that this league is structured and the amount of money that they actually are making. That's another conversation for another day. Yannick continues, he says, multi-purpose facilities, year-round venues generate more money uh, for events and naming rights, etc. Right, but, but for years, MLS talked about the need to build soccer-specific stadiums, and they've held some markets to that standard. I think it's the inconsistency that bothers us. Look, let's just look at the last, uh, last two expansion uh, cities in this part of the world where you and I live. Orlando, they had the Citrus Bowl, which the city had just spent a lot of money renovating. Uh, a multi-purpose stadium, and they got 60000 for a couple of games. But they were told you have to build a soccer-specific stadium, uh, which, by the way, you know, we took them from turf to grass, which was a good thing. But you have to build a soccer-specific stadium uh, to maximize the atmosphere, maximize your own revenue, your own gate, etc. But then for Atlanta, because it's an NFL owner, there's a double standard. Um, I, that's the thing that bothers me is uh, are soccer-specific stadiums the preference or are multi-purpose domed 
artificial turf stadiums where fo American football is also played and uh, there are tons of concerts and other things, you know, tractor pulls. Is that the preference? Uh, or do we want some sort of hybrid like this uh, Home Depot uh, StubHub Center, as it's now known, where uh, it's, it appears to be a soccer-specific stadium, but they have the X Games there every year and things like that. I, I don't know. There's no consistency from MLS on this on this issue. I get the revenue uh, situation. I understand that. Uh, but also, it, it has been shown time and again when you build small, intimate venues for Major League Soccer matches like Kansas City did after they'd been in a football stadium for 14 years, uh, uh, 14 or 15 years, your, your attendance goes up, your energy level goes up of your fans, you sell more merch. Uh, so it's not, it's not all that it appears just because you get more attendance and you have other events going on at stadiums. There's a lot of factors in this. I get, I get part of Yannick's point. I think he's right to a certain extent, but there's, um, there's a lot that goes into this. Yeah, and for this podcast, I mean, we're, we're looking at this through the lens of, of, of a TV camera. And for us, I mean, for me especially, watching a game on artificial turf, on television, looks like crap. I mean, it's, it's, it's not authentic. And um, for the most part, usually, uh, that's a big thing for me. I mean, me personally, if I'm flipping through and I see a game and it's on artificial turf, I'll flip, flip the channel and go into another game. Because it's not an authentic way of playing the game. I mean, and it's, to me, it's, a lot of the times it's either the league or the club just being too cheap to actually have a natural turf that they can use. And, and look, committed football fans can force this change. So Toronto FC, they have the worst climate of any, any market probably in Major League Soccer, right? Um, they started BMO with, uh, with turf. And fans protested. Fans got unhappy. Fans said this, this is an authentic football. Uh, Toronto fans are, uh, and I've said this time and again, uh, and I get American fans offended all the time. I guess I'm offending American fans all the time anyway, so might as well say it again. I think Toronto, <laughs> Toronto fans are more sophisticated than most fans in MLS, if not all the other fan bases. I think they're the most sophisticated set of fans in the league, other than maybe Vancouver fans. I mean, really, it's Canadian fans uh, of football are more sophisticated than American fans on the whole. Um, they demanded the change from their front office, which had been very stingy financially at the time, at Maple Leaf and Sports Entertainment Group that runs uh, the, the, the Maple Leafs and runs the Toronto Argonauts and the Toronto Raptors, all these other professional teams. They got grass put in that stadium. Um, right. So fans in Seattle and Portland uh, and now Atlanta, who can constantly make excuses about this um, – and constantly give justifications about how turf is becoming the way of the future. Uh, get your, your, your brothers in Toronto, brothers and sisters in Toronto, and how they handled it. They saw it very differently, and they forced a change. Yeah, and going back to Yannick's point about uh, how MLS continues to lose money, I mean, that, that's, that's exactly what Don Garber wants everyone to think, especially when there's uh, CBA negotiations and uh, even they're trying to negotiate uh, player contracts, et cetera, with, uh, with the unions. Uh, the opposite is true. I mean, but but then again, we don't know because you I mean they're not revealing their financials because they're a, a private company that owns all of these MLS clubs. So, uh, but that is the narrative that a lot of people think that MLS continues to lose money. That's why we have to have uh, this artificial turf in places when the opposite is is actually true. All right, uh, let me see. Two quick more questions. Uh, one is from Ben Salahin. It uh, says, uh, big fan of the weekly podcast. Question about Fubo TV Latino package, which includes Univision and, and Unamas. Do you know if these two channels cover any of the Champions League matches this coming season? Or are, or are all of the games going to be televised on Univision Deporter, Deporters, which is a different channel? 
great question. Um, mm. We don't know the answer. Yeah. Because Univision has still not uh, announced uh, which games are going to be on which channels. I would imagine that many of them will be on Univision Deportes. Uh, some of them will be on Univision and some will be on Unimas. So uh, Here's what happens. When matches are on Unimas, they tend to show them also on Univision Deportes. In a lot of cases, they show them on both. Um, on Univision, if a game matches on Univision, it's on Univision. And uh, if, you're, uh, if you don't have access to over there Univision, uh, keep in mind, a lot of places, even if you not, don't have it as part of your Fubo package or whatever, you can get rabbit ears and watch Univision in a lot of places. So keep that in mind. That's the over-the-air channel. They generally don't double up if it's on Univision with Deportes. But if it's on Unimas, which is a channel which um, is uh, – you know, I get it in, in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale market, but you won't get it in the West Palm market. I don't think there's a Unimas affiliate in West Palm. Maybe there is now. But in a lot of places there aren't. They usually show those matches on Deportes also. There are exceptions. But um, uh, generally, Univision, Univision tries to make these matches as accessible as possible. So I don't think you'll be in a scenario where if a match is on Unimas and you don't get the channel, you're not able to watch it on Deportes uh, for, 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 for you, Ben, and for others that might be curious about this. Yeah, the other option is just to upgrade your Fubo from the Latino package to the full package, and then you get all the Univision channels yes. and all the BN Sports and NBCs and Foxes and et cetera, et cetera. But that, that's a little bit of a tip that I guess we probably should have mentioned on the show a year ago. There are a lot of matches, Chris, that are on Unimas, which Univision is aware people don't get uh, in mass, and that they, they also show on Deportes at the very same time. So you have two channel options for the same broadcast. I uh, should have mentioned that a long time ago. All right. So before we move on to the interview with uh, Pierre Musa from NBC Sports, one last uh, comment from one of our listeners. This is from Zachariah Tollison. He says, hey, I don't know if, you're all, if you all saw, but Netflix's, Netflix's first team Juventus, which is the second half of the season from this past year, was amazing. Granted, it was probably a result of Juventus's second half of the season having some amazing matches, but I really hope that Netflix continues this next year with maybe another or several other big clubs. They should maybe just follow a team or teams from January on, <laughs> because maybe I'm alone, but I found the first half of the season interesting, but really boring as nothing was really at stake. Anyway, just thought uh, y'all should know in case y'all hadn't seen it. And I think that's what you, you had said, Kartik, to uh, Previously, that some some of the first few episodes are kind of basic, but then as it progresses, it just yeah. gets better and better. It's really good. I recommend it. Um, I think it's a little too Americanized. The first episode or two, where they're trying to explain Serie A and the Champions League to American audiences, and I geez, like I don't need that. <laughs> I know I know who Juventus are. Trust me. Uh, and I think most people watching this know who they are. But then after that, it got really good. They did a great job. I saw something. I saw, I saw something else on Netflix this past weekend uh, I tweeted about, but it's a series. It's probably an old series, but it's a series called The Masters, and it's on Netflix in the U.S. It was incredible. It was a documentary about um, the kind of – I think it's called The Masters – where some of these uh, – I mean, some of the iconic figures and interviews with people like and, – and footage, lots of footage with uh, Rodney Marsh, uh, George Best, Alan Hudson – and you go down the list, all these star players that played in England, most of them went to the NASL and became uh, even greater stars over here. Uh, Brian Clough was another one, too. Uh, he didn't come to NASL. But, but those types of figures and uh, highly recommended. Really, really good documentary. And uh, so check, check that out on Netflix. 
So you can always reach us if you have any questions, comments, uh, Netflix recommendations, or feedback, rants or raves. Uh, we're always more than happy to read those out on air. You can always reach us through email, uh, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post comments on worldsoccertalk.com. So we are now moving on to our interview that we did with uh, Pierre Musa, who's the executive producer at NBC Sports and uh, really the visionary, one of the, one of the men of, uh, of, of many that's responsible for the Premier League's uh, coverage in the United States. And it's a short interview, but Pierre goes into um, some detail about some of the things he's looking forward to watching this weekend with the Premier League on location with the, the new season with the, the entire team going to England to broadcast these games uh, to you, uh, as well as some other insights about some of the, the technological production things that we can keep an eye out for. So here we go, the interview with Pierre Musa. So with, with HBS providing the, the world feeds for the World Cup, which was I mean, picked up by I mean, everyone from uh, Fox to Telemundo, of course, part of the, the NBC Sports uh, family, w- was there anything production-wise or anything can, in terms of uh, cameras or, or the way that they televised those games that, that could be... I, I guess it's tough because you mean the Premier League controls the the actual main feed of of the actual games themselves. But in terms of a production point of view, was there anything you can take away from that that uh, you can kind of uh, maybe use or, or borrow? Well, I mean, here here's the number one takeaway: we're in a similar position, and I don't want to take anything away from the World Cup coverage. Uh, but Premier League provides exceptional coverage, and that's really a tribute to. Um, Sky and BT. I mean, their their coverage is exceptional, and, and in fact, what's noticeable is that several of BT's directors um, were actually over in um, in uh, in Russia covering it. So there was a lot of the same directors and camera operators, et cetera, covering the, the for both that cover the Premier League regularly. That was covering the World Cup. So their coverage is exceptional. I think my my takeaways, and this may be a little bit boring, and I know sometimes I could be a little bit boring, was. Was it reinforced a lot of our principles um, that our broadcast principles, our Bible? We have a, a list of Bible rules that we have for our broadcast, and I think anytime you're you're covering a sport, especially the Premier League, and over the course of a duration uh, of, a, of ten months, you want to make sure you 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 don't lose lose sight of what you're about and what your approach is. And so the the things, my takeaways, and and I, and I can dictate them to you because they're they're really kind of our, our Bible is. The match is the most important thing, and, and you have to respect the match, and that's why people are watching. So our job is to complement it, enhance it, but but never, ever get in the way of it. So, again, that's something we, you remind you from the World Cup. Um, you know, enhance it with authentic coverage is, is really a key point to us. Just be really true to the sport and to the coverage, and the World Cup coverage was exceptional when it comes to that. And I think especially with the World Cup in Russia, which ha- has a lot of intrigue as a country, you know, similar to England, there's a sense of place that we want to make sure. We want to kind of bridge that that geographical gap. So we want to always be, whenever possible, over in the U.K., or in their case, over in Russia, where you can really get a sense of place. I mean, our job is to provide the best seat in the house for our audience, and we want to make sure that we're true to the sport. And a lot of our audience is really, really um, excited and has a, has a keen interest in not only the Premier League, but England itself and the cultures around it. So those are really kind of our big, our big principles that I would take away from the, the host coverage that reminded us of the, the core values that we have um, when it comes to our Premier League coverage. 
Now, in terms of this weekend, of course, the Premier League uh, season kicks off. But before that, we've got the uh, the transfer deadline day special that's on NBCSN. But looking at the entire weekend, is, is there one thing in particular that you're looking forward to the, to the most in terms of uh, the coverage? Uh, it's Saturday Wolves. I mean, any time we, we were we were bright last year. Anytime you could be at a stadium, um, especially a newly promoted stadium, and obviously they've been in the Premier League before, but the excitement around that game for the, for that those fans, that place is going to be insane. It's going to be awesome. And I think uh, if somebody asked me the other day, if, you know, what's the one thing you wish you could do? And, it, and it's a bit of a um, uh, a theoretical thing, but when you go to your first Premier League match, it is such an incredible experience, and I wish everybody could go and have an experience like that, sample a Premier League match in person, because when you get to go in person, there's nothing like it. In some, time, in some cases, you kind of forget that there's a football match going on because you're just the supporters left to you. You're, you're soaking in the atmosphere. You're hearing the chants. And, and Wolves, to me, on Saturday, that atmosphere before kickoff is going to be mental. It's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, and a great thing for for Wolves fans, or for neutrals really, is that um, the last time Wolves were in the Premier League, since then they've redeveloped their, their grounds. So it's a much bigger stadium, it's a much more modern stadium. And Wolves is a very proud uh, club, so, so the fan base will be absolutely going mental. I can guarantee that. That's, it's going to definitely be a good one to look forward to. Um, and, re- and, and, and you know, going back to going back to wh- why we do this UK trip and why we do it in the opening weekend is really to help uh, bring our audience close to the Premier League, help them really appreciate it. And and for us, um, there's there's nothing better than than that first match at home for a newly promoted club. And, and that's one of the things about NBC's coverage too, especially the the behind the badge uh, series. That that's also brought us a lot closer to some clubs, whether it's. Watford or uh, Swansea or, or, or other ones, but in in regards to this coming season, are, are there any kind of clues about some of the behind the badge episodes we can expect? Yeah, we, we've been in touch with several clubs, and there are a few clubs that are interested. I, I'd be doing them, I'd be disrespectful in saying you know, the names of those clubs, but we we we've, we um, have strategically selected a few clubs that we'd be really interested in in, um, in covering. So we we started the conversations and. With everything, um, it's it's about trust and building that trust with the club. So uh, the hope is that they'll they'll grant us a little bit of uh, insight into what goes behind the scenes. Now, for this uh, coming season, are, are there any production improvements or, or enhancements that we can expect to see? Whether it's on the, I mean, pre-game, uh, halftime, post-match, or, or in-game coverage. Well, one of the biggest things we want to focus on, and I think this is much more of a complete company-wide um, focus versus production is really celebrating the American Premier League experience. And we started to do that a lot last year, but that's going to be a really big focal point. And what I mean by that is our first few years, we really, really um, focused on the English experience, the pub experience, the what the way supported the U.K. watch the Premier League. But due to the time difference, they're, they're, the American audience uh, really has a different experience, and that's candidly mornings it's 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 breakfast in bed it's Premier League on the couch in your pajamas it's family time when you're spending time with your kids in the morning it's a completely different experience and, and again for those those few supporters that I am extremely jealous of there are some people that go to the pub in the morning and, and I'm, I'm very jealous of that so really our, our focus is is celebrating that experience and there's a lot of things that we'll be doing there'll be a lot of um, uh, user generated ex- initiatives um, getting people to talk about their experience um, there's there's a lot of 
talk about a potential fan fest, and we're, we're in early development for that, which is obviously a huge um, uh, activation for the Premier League and, and for us. And then the, the third thing that we're doing, and we're actually, uh, I was there this morning, I was actually with Man City this morning, is we spent a, a lot of time um, with select clubs and gone to the clubs and had some of their star players um, shoot uh, promotional and marketing initiatives around uh around Premier League mornings. And so we're going to end up having a lot of star players um, helping our audience and connecting with our audience when it comes to that morning experience. And I don't want to give away the marketing strategy yet, but it, it's been uh, incredible to be able to have um, the club support us the way we've been doing. And in addition, having star players directly communicate um, to our audience uh, and, and celebrate that American experience because um, that's how our audience views it. And, and um, that's what makes it the Premier League morning so special. So, um, and again, I keep saying Premier League mornings, that, that's going to be the rebrand for our morning shows. And, and that's a big focus on marketing plan is that we want to start um, celebrating and helping our, our audience um, have a communal experience because the challenge, and again, um, as you know this better than anybody else, a lot of the uh, fans in the U.S., that's the one thing that they miss is having that communal experience, um, that group setting to be able to, to watch sports. And uh, we do that in all other American sports, but the time difference doesn't lend it to um, that experience mm-hmm. in the States. So we really want to find a way for our audience to kind of connect and have a communal experience, albeit um, maybe in their PJs, but we still want to make sure we celebrate the American Premier League experience um, versus uh, the, the English experience. Now for this weekend, I believe that uh, I think Derek Ray is calling one of the games. I think it's the Newcastle game. Is that something we can expect to hear yeah. more of this season? Having, uh, of, of course, Derek was calling games last season too, but are we at, at a point where we almost have two lead NBC commentators, um, depending on Derek's schedule? No, no disrespect to Derek, because we love him, Derek. There is only one lead at our network, and that's Arlo. Arlo is definitely the face of our for, of our network when it comes to commentators. Derek, Derek similar to Derek, does a. I don't want to take anything away from him. He does an awesome job, and uh, you know Derek's an exceptional broadcaster. And you know, similar to Steve Bauer and a few other people, um, uh, Peter Drury as well. They've all been parts of our broadcast, and and Derek is very much a part of our team and uh, somebody who will do not only commentator in the UK, but commentating in the UK, but also hosting. Um, some st- uh, some shows in the in the U.S. So Derek is 100 percent a member of our team and somebody we, we very much love. But but Arlo is our lead commentator. There, there's no doubt about that. So so given that NBC's coverage of soccer in the U.S. is arguably uh, kind of at, at the highest level in in regards to other broadcasters, how much pressure do you feel personally and and maybe perhaps your team too in terms of just continually trying to keep it fresh, but also t- trying to raise the bar whenever possible? A ton. I mean, we feel the pressure every time we do a show. Um, we use the uh, the phrase, you're only as good as your last show. And, uh, you know, I take it to a different level. Um, we truly believe that we're at a very, very special time in the U.S. when it comes to the game of soccer or football, whichever term you want to use. Um, and I don't know if you can, and I know we're judged on ratings and numbers and everything else. I'm not sure if you can quantify the impact that's happening right now, but you in a generation, you're going to see a huge impact on the sport. And what I mean by that is that the little kids getting up in the morning and watching Premier League with their parents will be teenage and college-age kids doing it with their mates. The college-age kids will be parents doing it with their kids. And you're going to see the growth of this game, although maybe not be able to quantify it in numbers, is, is tremendous. And so we feel a responsibility and put a lot of pressure on ourselves 
to not only help grow the game, but to be ambassadors for the Premier League. And, and the old adage, a rising tide lifts all boats, it's been a really special year. I mean, the World Cup was, 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 if you, it was awesome. I can't find a better word for it. It was a spectacular, fantastic, exciting tournament. And we want to build on that momentum. And so, in short, we do feel a lot of pressure, but that's pressure that we put on ourselves because we want to put on the best possible broadcast. We want to grow the game. And number one responsibility is to serve the viewers in the U.S., so um, it, it's something that we take great pride on and, and, and something that we really, really focus on is how can we get better. And that balance is you don't want to make changes um, for the sake of changes, but you constantly want to evolve and improve. So during the whole summer, a lot of it was about reviewing shows, um, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, how we can get better. But we don't want to lose our core principles. And I went back to kind of talking about respecting the game. The game match is the most important thing. We have our Bible. We know what we believe in. We have our mission statement. And it's a matter of how can we continue to evolve and, and improve the experience for our viewers. So in short, a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves, but we take great pride in what we do. And uh, um, we're quite proud of, of being ambassadors to the Premier League. All right, so there's that interview with uh, Pierre Musa. Thanks uh, to NBC Sports for that interview. All right, guys, well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audio Boom, and worldsoccertalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. In Kartik, going into this weekend, the first weekend of Premier League football, Many of us have been winning this win for this for months uh, since the end of uh, May, as well as plenty of other uh, football on uh, in-store, Championship, MLS, Liga Mekis, and so forth. And Liga, the French Liga is coming back. What should they do this weekend? Enjoy your football. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 